podcast talking all things health technology and NHS IT. Welcome to Digital Health Unplugged. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Digital Health Unplugged, which is brought to you in partnership with Oracle Health. I'm your usual host, Jordan Soloff, news reporter at Digital Health. However, for this edition, we're going to do things a little bit differently. I'm going to hand over the reins to Isaac Fredericks, Director of Client Relationships at Oracle Health. He's going to tell us a bit about what this episode's focused on before introducing our speakers and leading the discussion. So it's sure to be a really interesting episode. Without further ado, over to you, Isaac. Cool. Thanks, Jordan. So uh, as Jordan said, my name is Isaac Fredericks. I work in Oracle Health um, across the UK, uh, responsible for a number of the client relationships that we have, and then a lot of the, the programs that sit around that, one of which is obviously the fantastic footprint that we have in interoperability and HIE, health information exchange, share care records, uh, whatever the phrase may be. Um, so today we're looking at interoperability in action. We've got three really exciting speakers coming from three very different perspectives, different regions and even different countries and continents. So uh, hopefully we're going to get some really interesting discussion about different ways of doing things and, and understanding different experiences uh, and really try and get to the, the bottom of what we do this for. We do this for patients, we do this for staff, we do this for outcomes within the organisations and delivering the best health and care that we can to populations and citizens. So without further ado, I'm going to hand over to our three panellists that we have here. Um, first of all, we've got Mike Cedar. Mike, do you want to introduce yourselves and maybe just give us a bit of a background about your organisation, your role and, and the work that you've done in interoperability? Sure. Uh, Mike Sita. I'm the executive director at the Tiger Institute for Health Innovation um, at the University of Missouri um, here in Columbia, Missouri, right in the middle of the United States. Um, so Tiger Institute is a partnership between Oracle Health and the University of Missouri that's really been centered around leveraging technology to improve the health and care of Missourians and beyond. So in addition to having responsibility for IT operations at University of Missouri Healthcare, uh, we partner on several different initiatives. Uh, one of our original ones has been the Tiger Institute Health Alliance HIE, uh, which uh, I've been responsible for in some form or fashion uh, since 2010. Uh, but prior to serving at the Institute, I've um, served in different healthcare leadership roles and physician practice management, health system network development, and then have served as a CEO of a rural health system here in uh, the United States. And I've been directly involved in interoperability for probably about 13 years, even though didn't really think about interoperability uh, before being at Tiger Institute, but it actually was uh, very much a focus throughout uh, the different roles that I just mentioned as well. Thanks, Mike. Great to have you here today. Mark, on to you. Can you give us a bit of a background on yourself? Hi, uh, I'm Mark Westwood. I'm formerly been the GP, just retired from full-time practice a year ago, but having worked in the Northeast for 24 years, our practice was actually saddled between two foundation trusts, so actually information sharing between those two foundation trusts was important. But I suppose what really interested in this, when I did out-of-hours work, out-of-hours work, so we often saw patients with a blank piece of paper, we had nothing else, so we had to build from thereafter. Um, and basically in early 2013, uh, Healthcare Gateway produced a product that would work both with EMIS and TPP. 
So that was a catalyst to say, well, this is possible. This this is something we can start to do. Um, so it, basically, it just it, it flew. Um, it, it started locally. Some practices weren't interested initially. There was uncertainty about the governance of information sharing, but the, the agenda for that's changed over the years. Um, we used that platform to uh, facilitate record sharing um, in the out-of-hour setting in the northeast and North Cumbria, an area 100 miles east to west, 100 miles north to south, and incorporating all the foundation trusts at that time. It just worked. Um, so basically primary care was, it was a bit awkward because primary care was contributing data, but the mechanism of actually sharing information within the, uh, the, the interoperability solution at that time, we could never get to see the data that was actually being shared. We didn't have a mirror view of that data. Uh, and then Basically, it's not necessarily ran out of steam, but actually we couldn't connect other organizations. Um, so basically the, the region collaboratively sort of had a joint procurement process to review potential providers for having a sharing information platform for direct care, not a federated data platform. And basically the region all as one agreed that we'd go with one particular provider, having had a fashion show or a number of providers. Um, and so that was 2018. 2019 contract was signed, 2020, just at the onset of COVID, um, the technical enablement of the platform started. So one foundation trust started to uh, produce information as the HIE, and it's been a slow process of introducing other organizations over that period of time. Um, it's just stop patients having to be asked the same questions over and over again. And so to me, as a, as a clinician, that must be a fantastic step forward that the crazy thing is patients have always thought the NHS does that stuff and and there's a bit of a revolution that well, why don't you do this already so I, I'm really quite proud of the region has all sort of st all, all walked in the same direction and said we'll do this collaboratively and it's now with the provider collaborative board to actually find the mechanism of supporting and funding it for the next few years thereafter so fantastic yeah, thanks, Mark, and I'm excited to hear more about what the Great North Care Record's doing at the moment. So uh, we'll get on to that as the podcast goes on. And uh, our final speaker, on to Joss. Hi there. Yeah, so I'm Joss Palmer. I'm the Programme Director for One London. Um, and One London really is, a, it, I guess it's our brand for collaborative work that we do across London's five integrated care systems. And um, so one of the Royal Flagship um, programmes that we all work on collectively is the London Care Record. Um, and so that is essentially our shared care record or our connected care record across the entire capital. Um, and um, for myself, I've worked within Connected Care Records for, well, I don't know, since about 2012. So I think as Mark said, and as Mike also mentioned, I think it, it's it's such an interesting area to work in because you really see the value. And sometimes it feels a bit like shared care records are slightly like unsung heroes in the UK anyway, Mike, it might be different in the States. But I do think that we see a lot of value being delivered to actual frontline health and care staff. And um, yeah, it's it's magic work. So yeah, nice to be here. Joss, you've kind of answered what I was going to ask you next. <laughs> and that was that um, digital healthcare can be hard work. Um, it's is a lot of challenges to get through, a lot of people and processes and technology to work through to get towards what you want to achieve 
so my question back to you is what gives you the motivation to keep going in this but I feel, is there anything else above what you just said about making that impact and being that unsung hero um so I, I do think that there is a challenge and it's I mean there's an ongoing challenge so I think probably what one of the things I enjoy is it's not a kind of once and done project and probably increasingly I've started to think about things like uh, shared care records as being almost a service that how do you keep it alive and how do you keep it relevant mm -hmm. and how is it up to date as you know systems and the landscape changes all around you so I guess personally I probably enjoy that and then I, I think there is also the opportunity you do get to work with like multiple of multiples so you know as a team say like the one London team the teams that are delivering the London care record work with a multitude of different like health and social care organizations uh, primary care social care community mental health and so on and so forth um, we also work with like a huge rich um, array of different suppliers and vendors in the marketplace and that can you know that's interesting as well so I guess I like I like the fact that it is a quite a complex environment um, but I suppose also it's really directly addressing a problem which is that information doesn't follow the individual patient at least not oftentimes in, in the NHS in, in our system. So what we're really trying to do is to solve a problem that exists so that, as Mark said, um, people don't have to constantly repeat their own story or take full responsibility for, move, you know, basically moving their information around. Um, so I think, yeah, there's there's huge amounts of, of benefit, whether it's on safety or quality or efficiency or better use of time that come from I think, the work that we all collectively do. And, and Mark, I guess you get to even see that even closer to it being a, a user at one point of these systems whilst you're a GP. Yeah, it's, it, it's, it's miracle medicine, really. Actually, you can see information that you otherwise didn't have access to unless it was a telephone call or a fax, dare I say it. And you, you can assemble you can assemble someone's sort of uh, clinical pathway much better with information when it's visible electronically. Um, it's you're always at a better starting point with a conversation. And I think that's patients sort of appreciate that, that they appreciate that you know something about them. It's not like you're, you're just starting with a blank sheet. Um, and it's it's improving all the time, as Joss has said. Actually, different systems have different ways of presenting data, and we have the challenge of actually making sure that data flows in a way that actually is readable or understandable. Um, and that's the big challenge because it's not apples and pears and grapefruit, and it's a question of actually making sure the whole thing looks logical and I like to choose the analogy that some of the challenges we call it a record but actually it's a record that's summed up at the time of a push of a button it's it's assembled at that point there and it's trying to convey to patients that it is not a big brother type data it's actually just stored created at the time it's actually needed obviously we keep the audit trail of who's access to that's important but actually the concept of a record almost makes people think in terms of a manila, manila type folder so it's breaking away from that sort of concept of this record is about your care this is about our collection of, of, of the information that we have but it's to be honest enough to a patient as well actually it's not complete so you'd use it as a as a prompt to have a better conversation but not to say this is a diktat this is it's not like a dhl dispatch order these are the things that have happened you've got to say well this is the things that could be missing i like an analogy this is like a a novel where some pages are missing some chapters are missing and you've just got to be able to take someone with them and say actually we think this information is missing can you tell me about this um so i think that's the most fascinating thing uh, and okay. i think 
where you speak from an individual organization, you can have an organization-centric view of what's happening to that patient. But having the awareness of things are happening elsewhere, it just makes better conversations, full stop. And to take your analogy a step further, you want to go and write the next chapters of that book in the healthiest, happiest way you can for the patient, don't you? So the book is not finished. Uh, Mike, on to you. I mean, uh, motivation for you. You said you've been doing this for nigh on 13 years. It's it's a long time to be involved in this space. Yeah, it's amazing how really similar things are in different countries and continents. So I'll echo everything that uh, Jocelyn and Mark just said. But maybe a couple of things that maybe expand upon a little bit. One of them that really keeps me motivated is when I hear about new ways in which health information exchange is impacting care and adding value. And I'll give you just a couple of recent ones um, for us to give you examples. We had one of our uh, member organizations have a cyber attack uh, just here over the last, I'd say month or two is when this happened and they couldn't access anything no access to their own EHR, much less any of the information from other organizations. Um, But we were able to set them up with web-based accounts um, to gain information from the HIE, which included their own information. So instead of going into every patient encounter with that blank page that Mark was talking about, they had a community record um, in front of them, including what they had already documented in their own system, which allowed them to be able and do surgeries and and do other types of care. Uh, So think about that from a patient perspective, but also from that organization's perspective, they were, you know, it helped them stay operating. Another one that um, a new use case that popped up for us, and it just makes sense when you think about it, but it really, you know, everybody's focused on physicians and hospitals, but um, we recently over the past year or so have had a couple of organ procurement organizations Uh, join our HIE. And pretty quickly, they started realizing value. Um, It really helped accelerate um, the organ procurement process. And in many cases, it allowed for organ uh, transplants to happen when otherwise they couldn't, just because of the time savings um, that happened when now you have the ability to query out to a health information exchange, pull back all that relevant information, help make a medical uh, assessment versus the traditional way is you're picking up the, uh, the phone, trying to get a hold of individuals at a hospital to gain information, and that takes a lot of time. Um, plus, you're not always getting all of the information uh, because, like Mark was saying, people are cared at different locations. And so there might be a critical piece of medical information that would impact the ability to actually do um, an organ transplant. Um, and so... Probably the the other thing that I'll say, um, and this one was, this took a long time to get to this point. Um, And, uh, you know, Jocelyn's been involved in health information exchange too, but um, it wasn't always so obvious that the value was there, especially in, I would say, the early days. But when we got to the point where whenever there was a downtime or there was an issue with the HIE, we would get calls. directly from providers wondering what's going on, why is the HIE down, which which tells me that people are finding a lot of value in this. Um, they're relying upon it as part of, um, part of the way that they deliver care and get information on their patients to make medical decisions. So those are the types of things that keep me motivated. Um, and there are always new use cases, it seems like, that are popping up. 
Thanks, Mike. And, and sticking with you, I mean, you, I think you said it a little bit earlier on there. We always, I think, as a British person and working closely with the NHS, you think, oh, US health system, no, that's nothing like us. It's very different insurance based. No, not interested. But you're caring for patients. You're trying to improve outcomes. You're, you're saving lives every day. That patient experience gets enhanced by the way that you work with the HIE. How, what kind of patient feedback or patient experiences have you you seen as part of your work? Yeah, I think the first thing to really realize is um, the it's not all that dissimilar um, in a lot of ways in the United States as it is um, in the UK. Um, we're we're a pretty fragmented um, health system, I would say, uh, meaning that there are a lot of different organizations that are delivering care, and they aren't always. Um, you know, talking to each other. Uh, so the HIE becomes sort of this, this mechanism by which that information fro- flows much more freely and follows that patient. Um, a recent study that happened here in a neighboring state of ours, uh, right next door in Kansas, um, showed, and this was in 2021, but they showed about 80% of patients are seen at more than one location. Um, and the information in the HIE actually when you looked at that versus what was stored in the medical record um, or electronic medical record is one term we use. I think electronic patient record is used um, uh, in the UK. But when you looked at the difference between the two, about 20% of patients um, were affected, meaning that the information was in the HIE, but it wasn't stored in the local record. It impacted quality measures. It impacted um, care plans and decisions that need to be made. So, you know, think about it from that perspective. Providers now have the ability to see the care that's happened elsewhere on that patient. So the patient doesn't have to tell them um, what has occurred. Uh, the, the provider doesn't have to ask them over and over um, information that, you know, they just kind of assume, like in the UK, like Mark was saying, they sort of assume that other providers have that information, uh, which isn't always, hasn't always been the case. Um, so that's that's a big impact. I think the other thing that we've seen talking from some of the providers, uh, the physicians in particular that, that are treating patients is that when the patient comes in, they have a, a sense of confidence that the provider has access to that information when they're making medical decisions. We've had a couple, one where things, uh, where one of our physicians was going over the labs, uh, lab values from another organization and the patient was kind of surprised that you had it all, but he felt very good that, okay, now I'm hearing this care plan that you're directing me is taking into account information from different locations that I'm seeing at. Um, Sometimes it's kind of fun when we hear the stories about um, the pediatricians or family practice physicians having access to the specialist reports uh, when they're referred to different systems and actually prompting the conversation with the patient about what happened at that location. This is how we're gonna manage your care going forward based upon that. So so again, sometimes they're surprised. Um, sometimes it's really just more a matter of relief that they know that you know what happened over there and you're taking that into account. So it really starts to create what we, we like to call a person-centric record. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Mark, you, you sat in front of many patients and you've talked about some of that already. I think some of the challenges that you're trying to address, for example, if, you, if you're trying to provide information for the ambulance service, an ambulance costs three quarters of a million pounds a year to run one ambulance and the paramedic dream associated with it. So if you can do anything to actually give timely information to that paramedic crew, 
at the time of that call being made, you're going to make some savings on, on distance and time. I mean, it's 100 miles. Ambulances travel a lot of miles. There's about a million plus miles a year for the ambulance service alone. We've got to try and equate, actually, if we can reduce the number of miles, you might save some money and you might be able to invest in the technology. So that's always a discussion about uh, technology. Um, does it just go to the bottom line or do, can you can invest to, to invest to save? Um, one of the things that actually has made a big difference is actually we've got two clinical systems in the in primary care and community care is this EMIS and System 1. And we never had the ability to see information of one on, on System 1 if you're in an EMIS practice. So now with the HIE, you can't see the whole story, but at least you've got, you, at least you can start a, a conversation about recent episodes of care. So that's that's amazing. And that's, that's, that's one thing that most of practice doctors actually like you just you get to see that actually the community nurses have been out to see someone and start to initiate some form of care and the district nurses like it the other way around because they can see that if they've asked you about a palliative care patient they just look on the HIE and see you have actually issued the medication so little things like that just save all that that slow churn about has something happened so these are small things actually I think as, as it gets better adopted and used um, it'll just become the thing you can't take away. It'll just be part of the fabric. It's a bit like said, how do you communicate without a telephone? You can't leave telephones. It's, it's just become a thing. It's become fabric of healthcare. Like a world without smartphones now. Can anyone remember? <laughs> Imagine getting back to dial-up internet and uh, just <laughs> yeah. phones and SMS messages. Um, simpler. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, true. Um, and uh, Joss, uh, Something I know that London's done that's quite a, a sort of different take on that patient experience or that patient engagement piece is the Citizens Summit and and how you kind of got ahead of that patient uh, experience or the patient communication in doing some of this work. Could you perhaps just talk through a bit of that? Because I think that's a it's a really interesting way, particularly the scale that you did it in to to discuss some of these topics with patients and citizens. Yeah, thanks, Isaac. And, I, you know, um, I think the L London work around Citizen Summit is, is good and is interesting. I mean, I do recognise, I think, across the country, there were lots of areas that have done sort of similar similar work and similar activities. And Mark, I'm sure, like Great North mm -hmm. Care Record, have done, have done so as well. Yeah. Um, so I guess the intention behind the Citizen Summit was really to bring together a, a group that was reflective of London's population and to have um, some conversations in depth with them. So the first one that we had was back in, I think it was 2020, um, and we brought together about 100 Londoners, as I say, kind of reflective of the population. And that was um, reflective in terms of attitudes towards data, as well as reflective in terms of demographics and so on and so forth. Um, and uh, so o over a number of days, um, you know, there were a series of sessions where either things were kind of uh, talked through, explained, questions were asked and answered. And some of the, you know, the real topics that might be a bit challenging were wrestled with. And I think it was a really um, uh, interesting, involving and important process to go through. And from that, we got some really clear messages that came from Londoners. And really at the heart of it was that Londoners did expect their information to be shared to support their care. So yes, they, they want to make sure that we do things in a way that is safe and is legal and is secure and all those good things. 
but they really do expect us to be more joined up and to collaborate and to share. And I think that's a really, really consistent and strong message that came from that citizen summit. Um, we had a citizen summit more recently, which um, had a focus which was more around data sharing for, say, things like research and population health management and things that maybe feel like they're a step away from from a direct care scenario. Um, but that that second um, summit, you know, followed a similar model around um, have really allowing the time and space over a number of days to have in-depth conversations with people and, you know, taking on the challenges that come up through the process. So it's been great. It's been something that's been at the heart of One London and something that, you know, does does kind of guide us. And we will we will remind ourselves that that's what London's expect of us as well. There's, there's nothing more than a mandate like that from from yeah. the people that you're doing this for, right, to go and, yeah. go and get it done. Yeah. So. Okay. Yeah, so that certainly happened in the northeast at the start of Great North Care Record. There are yeah. a number of citizen citizen juries to actually chew over some of these challenging questions. And direct care just wasn't an issue. They only felt a bit uncertain about what what is sharing for other types of data. What does it mean? So that that's the thing that continually sort of for a very small percentage of people gets them worried about what's this data being shared for. But actually, direct care is not an issue at all, and it's. That's what we have to deal with all the time. And at the at the time of the MIG sharing, um, we certainly actually contacted patients who had objected to record sharing from the point of view of sharing to potentially care dot data or or the summary care record. And when they knew what it was for, they just they reversed their 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 sharing. They 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 wanted their record share for direct care. Okay, they still get their preferences about care dot data or summary care records. They didn't want that information to go in that particular direction. So we still have that part of the fabric as well. It's it's not gone away. I suppose the issues around the federated data platform continually sort of uh, may stoke that particular concern. But as far as direct care, care, just it's it's never been an issue. Had many people opting out of London, Jocelyn. So I think probably like that there are in London as there, as there are elsewhere, I think, you know, you, you, you see, don't you, that there can be um, there can be points in time when there'll be there'll be more of that happening. Um, I, I guess now it's it's you know, we, we do recognise that people have a right to object to their information being shared and mm. that happens. We have to weigh that up properly and with consideration. Um, but, yeah, I think I think the. It's probably common everywhere in England that that where things are explained well and mm. where we communicate well with our publics around why the NHS shares information, um, that it's something that's largely supported and welcomed and expected. Yeah. Great. And I think you I can't remember if it was Joss that said it at the start, sharing information and interoperability is never done. I think that's true yeah, of the yeah. it's true of the patient input as well, right? It's a conversation yeah. that it's not a they've said yes, we need to go and do this. It's a conversation that will continue to happen forever, hopefully, and continuing to make sure that it's the right thing to do for the patients as well. So um sort of moving on to the other side of that equation, then the people that are caring or looking after these patients, whether that's a clinician, whether it's um, somebody that's working in a care home, hospice, social care, all these different care venues. Um, 
We know there's workforce challenges across health and social care in England, and I think globally. Um, Mike, I'm sure you see those same workforce challenges over in the US, and and I know there's particularly been a theme that I've heard of um, of sort of those physicians that provide a burnout um, side of it as well. How have you found the interoperability is making a bit of a dent on that view as well? I would say, I mean, yes. Uh, I think a lot of the burnout that we've that we've seen or we hear about really it just it stems from frustration um, from delays from difficulty being able to access information or to document information or to perform administrative tasks um, you know there are many other reasons as well but those are some of the things that lead to provider burnout and those are also areas where the health information exchange and interoperability come into play to alleviate um, some of those issues. So easy access to external information in a timely manner um, within the EMR so they don't have to go to different places to find that. It's organized in a good way. Um, it just makes their the job easier to, to treat patients um, or to, like I said, do administrative tasks like documentation or uh, quality performance metrics, um, having a, the availability of that easy and, and to be able to document that. I think one of the things that, that we're finding though, as HIE has progressed is, you know, there's a lot of information flowing. Um, you know, we operate in HIE in the, in the Midwest, we've got about 145 different types of organizations, hospitals, physician practices, long-term care facilities, mentioned the OPOs and, and other venues as well. Um, and so the, the amount of information now coming in um, can be a bit overwhelming. Um, especially as you're trying to, you know, get through all of it or ingest it directly into your record. Um, and so that's where a big focus of ours is now is how do you make it even more efficient? The information is there now, but how do we make it more usable and efficient for uh, providers and others to be able to access really the truly relevant information they need to do the task they're trying to do? Yeah, I guess that brings up a real question of is there too much information in health information exchanges now there's a there's a useful information but is the information usable I guess is a, a second part mm -hmm. of that question um, maybe Mark you could have a have a stab at how you think about that I think the trouble is if you've got different sorts of information and they're slightly contradictory because they're all written independently of each other and actually who co-authors, which is the true, the, 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 the version of the truth that really matters at this point in time. And those are more that actually around palliative care and advanced care directors. We're at that exciting or challenging phase where at the moment, our sort of document creation is actually, it's control MP, it's printed, it's come to the practice, it's put, it's put on a GP record, we can now share it on the HIE. But it's how you have that interaction of the conversations that someone made that decision. And you know who's been involved in decision making. So I'm really interested with what Jocelyn's achieved with the better care, because actually that's something that the Northeast needs to do. That is, you you have a constellation of people that can actually change change a care plan. It's not a control and P. That's it. You've got to have a dynamic care plan. And that I've been involved with one product around palliative care, and that was challenging enough just for within one CCG. I can't imagine how it's going to be with three or four different foundation trusts, primary care, et cetera. So it's it's a journey and it's just a question of how you over, overcome that governance, uh, those governance issues that can make that actually happen. Um, it, it is that governance of how, can you get a group of 
tens or hundreds of thousands of users to agree to a standard view of the same information or a mm -hmm. standard way of presenting, organizing, categorizing. And what is most important, which things go at the top? I think if you're a palliative care doctor, it's probably very different than if you're an emergency care doctor or if you're a social care worker, or if you're a um, mm. community nurse. So I guess between Mark and Joss, how, how have you guys started to approach that challenge or is that still on the to-do list? We're having a discussion with actually also we're going to be first to type in GP Connect, but actually how some of the information that might be in a GP record might be better presented within within the GP Connect record. Uh, Trumpet's GP Connect was designed at the time of COVID and I think they, they did the first iteration around the, just before COVID and there's not been a revision of the document since that time. So there's lots of emergency codes in relation to COVID. There's only other three codes that we can actually use that might be pulled out of the GP record. So that, that's a starter. So that means actually ambulance control can actually just look at the GP record of, of a GP Connect record of a patient and see there was a treatment escalation plan or there's an emergency healthcare plan. At the moment, that's a real challenge to find that. And that that's just an example of actually how the, you, you've asked primary care to record something. So within that record, it's easily visible within that particular that unit. They can they see what's happening, happening, that conversation. But outside that unit, you start to lose context of what how was that discussion started and who, who's currently controlling that discussion. I think that's that's the really sticky bit about shared care records. Um, how you have that awareness that someone's got an overview of someone's particular pathway. And that's gonna that's gonna happen with any other episode of care as well. Um, I don't know, maybe Jocelyn gives some examples of how they've cracked it in one London already. I wouldn't say we've cracked it. And mm. I, 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 I think that, that it, that sort of question of does the, does the clinician, does the social worker, does the OT, whoever, have to be a digital detective with the shared care record is, is a bit of a challenge, isn't it? And probably no. lots of us started our work by just saying, oh, it makes total sense. We need primary care information. We need information from hospitals. And you kind of bring these things together. And then perhaps you stand back and you go, oh, gosh, yes. like, as you say, like it kind of looks a bit different or like, um, is it too much, as, as Mike said? Um, I mean, I think that there are, you know, there is work, for example, by the PRSB around standards that I think is quite helpful that, um, within within England, where you can actually, we, you know, we can say, okay, this perhaps is is uh, a target for what we could be aspiring to in terms of the high level content of what would be in our shared care records. But um, I think probably a couple of things. One is that. Um, in many ways, I think like programs like the London Care Record have to be pragmatic. Um, so if, for example, you want to, you know, feel it's really important to share some mental health information, let's say, um, but it turns out that not all of the, the, the perfect data set isn't being recorded within that mental health trust. So the fact that it's not perfection yet isn't I think a mm. reason for not trying to do something or not trying to share some information so we kind of end up sometimes I think integrating and sharing information within our connected records based on what's possible and the art of the possible not necessarily just like the total you know perfect example but it does it does bring you know like so I would say at the moment we're wrestling with a couple of things so one is you know should we be doing much more work across London to look at 
like data quality and the way that it looks and feels across the federation of 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 the is of HIEs is the London Care Record. And the other is where we have like new use cases that come along. So, for example, we have been talking about you know, maternity information and things to do with mental health crisis plans. Um, yeah, how does that fit into something like the HIE in a way that you bring attention to the important information for the people that want to see it? You know, given what you said, um, Isaac, about how, you know, different people will find different parts of information most relevant to their role. I sometimes think the actual PRSB uh, plans around the about me standards may be an amazing road to go down because that really yeah, makes it okay. patient focused. Actually, forget what an organisation needs, but actually this is what a patient doesn't want to have to repeat. This is what a patient needs to, un to be understood in each and every contact. And I think to me, that could be one of the soft wins that would actually sort of make patients a bit of a wow. And I think particularly yeah. around mental health, um, people with learning disabilities, their story doesn't have to be repeated again and again, but it's actually there. It's up, 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 up front. It's visible at that time of contact. So I think that's quite that's quite a good thing to choose because it's not given to one organisation or another. It's just about the person. The person needs yeah, to know like these things. These things about me. I don't want to have to say it again and again, or be misunderstood. And I think I, I think that's relatively apolitical, and that will probably actually make sure people wow. They do really care about me. They want to make sure these things are not forgotten or put in as an after event. It's one of the phrases I hear when we're having these types of discussions. Don't let perfect be the enemy of the good. Yeah, yeah. Let's just go and do some good things. We can spend forever thinking about how we'd perfectly yeah, yeah. create this and never actually do it. So, I mean, the fact that all three of you are off doing this already and and having those millions of interactions and and points at which you're changing those interactions with patients and staff members and I guess leading on to those millions kind of uh, is what kind of efficiency that's driving within the organization so either from a cost or a communication time um, Joss I know there's been some work that you've actually spent some time evaluating this um, in one London quite recently which might be quite a nice story to share yeah, it, it has been really interesting, actually. So we commissioned Queen's University Belfast to do an economic evaluation of the London care record. And um, so it was really interesting for me, actually, seeing uh, an academic approach to an evaluation, which is really different from like doing a sort of business case approach, if you like. Um, and we we knew we had lots of stories around you know better care safer care or where people had saved time or where it felt that services could be more efficient but we didn't really have a way to model that or to show the value in a way that was quantifiable um, and also we really wanted it to be done by somebody that felt independent so it wasn't like oh well Joss is Joss would say that wouldn't she <laughs> um, so so yeah so so they they did some work and obviously within what they looked at they they looked at published research and they looked at the data that we could give them and they looked to see what other data they could find and um, there were some areas that were really difficult to prove so like safety was one of them and I think we want to dig into this a bit more um, it was really difficult from the published data um, to actually be able to definitively say the reason for 
you know, that, that London care record has made a positive difference in terms of safer care. We couldn't derive that from things like reported incidents and so on and so forth. So it might be that within the safer care context, perhaps the the stories of what happened is more, you know, come into their own. Um, but what they were able to really do and did it well was looking at the time that was saved and the value of that time. So they modelled, um, you know, staff groups across London, the usage of the London care record and um, uh, then applied, uh, you know, various kind of stress tests around it to check that they weren't being too optimistic and so on. And I think what we what we came out with in the report that they published, um, which we it's late last year, I think, wasn't it, came out, um, is that our um, the value of the London care record is running at just over two million pounds a month. Um, and the, in total, it's sort of 44 million pounds value that has um you know the London care record has delivered and that's not to say that it's cash releasing and there's no suggestion in our report that it means that oh, we don't need this many nurses or anything like that it, but it's purely about how do we give a value to the time that we know the London care record has delivered so it's been a really well received um, I still think in these um, challenging financial times in the NHS that that isn't necessarily going to totally make the case for uh, continued sustained investment but I think it's you know it's a piece of work that I'm really pleased that we did and um, we've shared it widely with colleagues from other parts of the country mm -hmm. and I know people have found it interesting so yeah it's good to do. Yeah uh, it's a fascinating read um, at least the exact summary piece that I've read so far. <laughs> <laughs> The, the the longer oh, academic report. Yeah. I, I know. I'm I'm waiting for a a sunny summer's day to read that Healthy. one. Yeah. Um, and Mark, is there um kind of your thoughts on how whether that's from a sort of personal or a local perspective or some of the more macro type lens that Joss was looking at from the the efficiency side? I I I think since we've actually had basically the great north care record starting through a shared collaborative platform on the on the on the information exchange people have now started to come forward can i have this can i have that and it's and it's been before it was never a question digital was bad it's always bad stuff it's it's it, it sparked people's curiosity can we do something that would be better can we can we have this feature can we have that feature and i think that's really quite a good place to be because people want it to be better and actually invested in that, making making that happen rather than just being here is the product, get on with it. They get a feel of actually it's a dynamic, it's a dynamic discussion. And actually that to me is the thing that keeps it really quite interesting. No one, no, it's not just that you, you've, you've got a standard product and it's now business as usual. It's not never going to be business as usual. There'll always be extra additional things we'll have to tweak and change. So people are actually fed back and the feedback has been quite good because it's actually prompted better training and better engagement and people have signed up for that and attended training sessions and that's that's great we're a large area I mean, 100 miles north to south 100 miles east to west and people are never going to be in a place that one time but so attendance actually at ms uh, teams meetings has been fantastic so people are now sort of challenging this information is difficult to find or range of information of gp information is not as good as we expected or data is a bit, a bit inconsistent or they don't understand how it works. So it, it's, it's a lovely place to be in. 
Um, and I think we, we've got the concept of ambassadors. So each organization that wants to contribute the data has to sort of take some ownership of that and say, okay, how can we make the information we share better? And have to make that consistent. So actually, it's a very small team compared to other teams. There's only about six people in the Great North Care record team, but that's a collaborative approach with the actual organizations contributing data. But I think we need the concept of ambassadors will really work well because we want people in their given organization to say it works because it does this for us. And those will be all the user case stories that will actually start to flow. We, we feel like we've hidden away a bit with COVID and, and only had the time now to sort of start to sort of have, have, have meetings with others. And kind of leading really on from nice that idea, isn't it? Ambassadors, I, I like that. I think it's great. Yeah, because it's actually because it's making sure that everyone who's vested in it contributes to its development, and it's not just that here it is, you go and do it. How can how can we make it better? And I think because I'm on the chair of the professional advisory group with with Phil Stamp, who's the CSO, and that's the conversation is constantly saying what can we do that's better. And at the moment we've had a roadmap that's actually it's well well busy until the 2020 mid 2024 which you have to make the icb support it but actually when you've got a roadmap people then say can we can we can we can we take part can we do this and i think that's an amazing place to be in and then taking on from that point then mark roadmap looking forwards what i'm not looking for a prediction or a crystal ball here but what are the things that you're excited about in interoperability going forward uh, Mike, maybe you can tell us a bit. I mean, there's I know there's things that you're working on at the moment, um, and also I think I'm going to come back to Joss and Mark, maybe looking at about some of the national work that's going on in the UK. So maybe Mike, you could comment a bit while you're looking forward, maybe looking back a bit for you as well, and some of the national work that's happened across the US. Yeah, I'll I'll, I'll kind of add a little bit, maybe one point on the efficiency thread too. Um, and this is something that is looking forward uh, for us as well. So the HIE, I think one of the use cases um, or areas maybe that um, doesn't get as much attention that I think people are beginning to appreciate more is the administrative efficiencies within the system that HIE can provide. Um, so I'll give an example here. Um, what we're seeing is that our different healthcare provider organizations that are members of ours, uh, they have to maintain interfaces with not just our HIE, but a lot of different third-party partners or vendors that they work with. And in many cases, the information that they're sending to the HIE is the same thing that they would need to send um, to those other systems um, or those other partners. And so we're seeing more and more an interest in, look, I'm already sending this information to the HIE. Why don't you just work with them? Um, to go ahead and, and make that connection and get you that information. So I don't have to maintain a lot of separate connections. It's a value proposition as well for those third-party partners. Um, and I'll give an example here in our state, um, there was a statewide effort from our hospital association working with our state government um, on a program. And instead of having to go and connect a hundred and something different hospitals, they were able to come to our HIE and get um, 50 or so of those feeds that they needed, just working with one organization. Um, our state looking forward is they're thinking about this concept of a health data utility where they're doing and supporting more than just moving information, but being able to analyze information uh, to help support policy decisions, 
um, or the Medicaid program here in the state of Missouri um, are looking at the HIEs in our region as the places that are going to be sourcing all of that clinical information versus having to maintain connections to providers throughout the state. So, so I think that's one area looking forward that I see there's going to be a lot more activity. The other one, um, as you mentioned, uh, here in the U.S., we've been, and with Tiger Institute, we've effectively been sharing information across the United States for several years now. Um, we have, like I said, about 145 organizations that are participants of our HIE that directly connect with our HIE and share information, but we also maintain um, connections with national networks here in the United States. Commonwealth Health Alliance is one. Um, another one is eHealth Exchange. So we're effectively sharing information across the country, um, which then leads, uh, as I mentioned earlier, the amount of data that is coming across. And a lot of times that information is not of high value um, or it's duplicative um, in many cases as you think about the same information starting to be sourced from different uh, networks. And so we're, we've been partnering with Oracle on a, um, some new product development that really goes through a process of filtering out information that we deem not of high value, um, our utilization, things like procedures that come across and are documented as left thumb. Um, you know, what do you do with that? Uh, we don't necessarily even need somebody to t spend any time looking at that. Um, so filtering out information that's not of high value, but also then going through a deduplication process with what we've already documented in our chart. Um, and in some of the early findings of that, we found that about, well, really in the first two weeks, um, of this system being live across our entire organ, uh, MU Healthcare, um, our health system organization, about 95% of the data elements coming through that HIE from all these different networks were actually, they're filtered out and deduplicated. Um, and so what was left then is net new information that you know we deem of value that users need to take a look at. And then even better is um, the actual process or the workflow was enhanced as well. So individuals don't have to go to a different part of the record to find that information in the HIE. It shows up natively within the documentation workflow that they're operating in. And they can quickly reconcile the information that they wanna to add to the chart or discard so it doesn't come back again the next time they query the HIE. Um, and we have found that you know, even in kind of the early stages of having this new system live, that the amount of information that's actually ingested into the HIE um, has increased multiple fold. Um, the value of that that we're finding is now that it's actually in the record, that it's not just being viewed, um, but an easy way to actually ingest it in at scale. Now all that information is able to be taken into account with clinical decision support systems um, that the organization have. Um, or in different analytics um, tools and processes that they're managing. We're taking into account that external information. Even as we start to look forward at leveraging generative AI in different workflows, it's operating off a more holistic data set. We're really starting to see that shift to the person-centric record at the healthcare organization um, from really, I think Mark even described this as more of a, a health system or a provider-centric record. Um, which is really where we're spending a lot of focus, uh, those two areas over the next several years, I see. Yeah, that's really interesting. Thanks, Mike. And kind of on that national theme, but perhaps new care venues, new views, new workflows across the UK. 
Um, Mark, maybe come to you next. What what do you kind of see happening? You talked about your roadmap, but what's kind of beyond that as well and, and some of the more national work? I think it's the boundary. It's the boundary work. So northeast is bounded by Scotland and Scotland's a different country. And that's a real challenge. Actually, patients wouldn't necessarily understand that going to Scotland, you might as well have getting your care in Germany because actually the information doesn't flow. So that that's a real challenge. Actually, that's what share care records need to deal with in a practical way. But Yorkshire and Lancashire are much easier. But actually, that's that's where I see that's the economy of scale. That's where shared decisions and are made about how to approach things. And actually, if a patient lives in Newcastle and happens to go surfing in Newquay as an accident, his record should flow with him. But to a certain extent, another thing that obviously the UK actually has that perhaps America doesn't have that's the adoption of the NHS app. So in your in your pocket, a patient will have the crucial bits of information that they would wish to share wherever they go in the country. And that's it's 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 another stream, but actually I think that's another important part of patient engagement as well. That actually the information you have is no different to what providers have because you've got it in your pocket, so to speak. And I think that's an interesting journey. And there's there's, a, there's challenges to make that work as you'd expect. Um, and I think there's been obviously slight resistance to some aspects of it. But in reality, it has to be the way forward. And I think that overcomes a lot of an organisation controlling record record access. And the patient can control that record access. And obviously, different systems have slightly different ways of doing it. One, one one provider and they you could do you could you could effectively give a link you could share the complete record that lasts for a few days from 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 the NH, from 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 a smartphone and so that it's, it's making sure that space remains a buoyant space and it doesn't get curtailed down to a particular it has to be done this way um and, so. and I think we've spent a good chunk of time today talking about a specific part of interoperability right we're talking about sharing care records at the point of need at the point of care mm. within that kind of shared care record space in the UK I mean that's a whole nother podcast on what that means for <laughs> patient engagement patient portals all the other different types of care and well-being that need to be provided it's across a, it's the a, it's an amazing place to be there consider smartphones mm. didn't really become an entity until say 2010-ish smart the, yeah. uh, the 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 apple phone so actually in reality we're in a much better place to actually sort of map the future from the point of view of patient person engagement. Absolutely. And Joss, finally then on to you to give us our last thought on the future. <laughs> so I, I think uh, Mike and Mark have both talked about the sort of boundaries and then and the sort of national perspective. So I think absolutely part of what we uh, want to do within the London Care Record is to um, see how we can work with uh, with the national team and with others across the country um, in terms of how do we join up some of these shared care records, you know, across across the whole of England and how do we do that and obviously for the great north care record and for the london care record we are already doing some sharing across the region which is maybe bigger than in than in some parts of the country so we've got some of that experience of when you're doing things at scale which i think is really valuable um but you know this will kind of take it to the next step and um i think it will be interesting as part of that or in parallel with that see how can we use and almost like be customers of some of the national systems and services that are available and how do they actually work with and support you know 
the our sort of connected care record. So I think I think that is that is one stream. Um, and then I think, you know, with a kind of London perspective, we're looking at how do we complete the London care record and how do we improve and enhance it? And um, some of that is about where we've got gaps and how do we fill them? And some of it's about how do we make it better? And um, I think we, we've we got a number of areas I mentioned before, you know, things like maternity care or mental health care and so on. Um, and, and people are always, and Mark will know this well, coming up with new new things that they they want us to to work on so that's probably part of our our um business as usual and how we evolve and develop but i think it is interesting just to see where shared care records where they place themselves within the kind of landscape or universe of things like the nhs app and as you say hopefully as things become more person-centered what what does that mean and um how do how how do things like the hie you know, work or or possibly be a part of that. Yeah, I think we're we're all well positioned to watch this unfold over the next few years. It's a very exciting place to be, and a lot of exciting work that I know you're all doing. So I'm sure we'll keep in touch and hear what everyone's doing. So thank you all for spending the time with us today. It's been really great to hear all of the different stories, all the different um, perspectives. And uh, with that, I'll say thank you and wrap up and hand back over to Jordan. Thank you very much. Yeah, that was a really insightful discussion and great episode as a whole. So yeah, thank you very much, Isaac, for leading it expertly. Thanks also to our speakers and to everyone for listening. And uh, my final thanks go to Oracle Health, who we partnered with to bring you this podcast. We'll be back very soon with another episode. Until then, take care and goodbye for now. listening to Digital Health Unplugged. We hope you enjoyed this episode. For more, follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or your favourite podcast platform. And to find out about our latest news and events, head to our website, digitalhealth.net.